0: we continue our journey through the gospel of mark and we're in the middle of jesus teaching regarding his return it's so important to be ready for his return the great evangelist d.l moody used to say i never preach a sermon without thinking that possibly the lord may come before i preach another that's probably why he was so effective And there's another mighty minister of the Lord named Horatius Bonar, and he had the same heart as he would conclude every day, he would draw the curtains of his window, and he would utter as he looked upward, perhaps tonight, Lord. And then if the Lord did not come, as we see in the morning, he would wake and he looked out the dawn of the new day, and then he would say as he looked up, perhaps today, Lord. You know, great men living in the light of the Lord's eminent return. And we study that today. And I just pray that God would use this study uh, for his glory and even for your good. You know, I don't know if you guys know what it, what it means or even kind of think it through, like to really, really be ready. You know, I, I, sometimes I wonder if I've ever really been ready for, for anything almost, you know, how many of you here, when, you're, when you leave for the day, you're kind of rushed, you feel that way, and you know, you got to meet, be at work somewhere at a certain time, or maybe at church, and you feel like maybe you're rushing out the door, just out of curiosity. Not, not that many, even though most of you are late for church, it's, you guys don't raise your hammer. <laughs> That's okay. Um, don't even worry about coming late, I'm just blessed that you're here, but you know, um, I I, I struggle with that. I'll be honest with you. I I just tend to procrastinate. Next thing you know, I have to be somewhere by 10 and I'm leaving at the last minute. But isn't it kind of a good feeling? Do you ever experience just that when you're really ready? Like you've taken a shower, you flossed your teeth, you've brushed deodorant, you sprayed some cologne on, you know, you, whatever, you're just, you got your keys, your wallet, it's all together and you're sitting there just kind of like, at the door, you're like, wow, I'm ready, you know, and then you're waiting for everyone else. Have you guys ever been there? You, know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Peter's like, yeah, all the time, you know. <laughs> you know, that that type of being ready is what I want to be for the Lord. You know, like if he was to come today that I would have, like, no regrets, like there's nothing in my life really that doesn't belong, there's, there's not any, you know, untaken, un- Things, you know, business that I haven't taken care of. I mean, to really, truly be ready. You know, I was talking to my son about this. And, you know, sometimes we, you know, we leave as a family and uh, things are undone, whatever, you know. But he's all, but yeah, dad, we we go anyways. And I'm all, yeah, it's true. But if I had more time, you know, I would have combed my hair. Or, you know, if I had more time whatever, I would have cleaned the white around my vans. Or if I had more time, I would have ironed my shirt a little better. Or, or would I, I would have brushed my teeth. Or, you know, like, you know, and, and so if you're a Christian, the Lord's going to take you, but maybe you'll be ashamed. Maybe you'll have regrets. 1 John 2, 28, it talks about that. You know, yeah, we go, praise God, he's going to take us in the rapture, but are we, are we really ready for His return. And what we find today is that the Lord, He encourages us in that. And we got to know these things regarding Bible prophecy because uh, it just stimulates us. It creates an urgency. You know, the Lord, just basically what what I want to say at the end is I'll say it at the beginning, always be ready. Every day, you never know the day the Lord will return. And so today we're going to see Uh, Kind of some contrast. We're going to see, first of all, the Antichrist and then Jesus Christ. And then we're going to talk about knowing the day and then not knowing the day. And we'll talk about two different days that are very important. But let's begin, first of all, in Mark chapter 13, in in verse 14. It it says, "So, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, and then there's this pause, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And so this abomination of desolation is uh, when the Antichrist goes into the temple, he goes into the most holy place, and he says he is God. The future abomination of desolation was prophesied. Jesus mentions it here in the book of Daniel, and if you want to jot it down, it's Daniel 9:27 and, and Daniel chapter 12 verse 11. As a matter of fact, when it comes to Bible prophecy, the, knowing the Book of Daniel is really the key that unlocks all the mysteries. In Daniel 9:27, let me read that verse. It says the Bible says he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, speaking of the Antichrist, that he's going to sign some type of peace treaty for one week, one uh, seven-year period. And it says right there, But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. And so Daniel 9, 24 through 27, and I know some of you guys are really interested in this, some of you guys, you're not, you know, but I'm just going to share it anyways I mean, the 70 weeks of Daniel, if you're like, you want to know anything about prophecy, study that out. How there's 70 weeks determined for Israel. 69 weeks have already been fulfilled, but there's one seven year period left. And what that is, is when the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, God's going to begin again dealing with the Jews. Now, things are already being set up for that because we know in 1948, they became a nation. In 1967, they regained Jerusalem. Amazing prophecies out of Ezekiel 36 and 37. So what's next? Well, what's next is that the world is going to look for a leader. More than likely, he's going to come from the United Nations because the Bible says that he will come from the Roman Empire. And so this leader will come, the world will look to him, they'll think he's the answer to all their problems, but what we read right here in Daniel nine twenty seven is that halfway through this seven-year peace treaty, he will show his true colors, that he's not the Messiah, that he's not the Savior, that he's not the answer, he's actually the devil. And that's what we see here, first of all, in looking at this abomination of desolation, it's regarding the Antichrist. You see the same thing in Daniel 12, 11. Now, here's a very important passage as well. It says, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, it says there shall be 1,290 days. So you can calculate the return of the Lord, you can calculate the very day that he will come back visibly and set up his kingdom based on the day that the abomination of desolation takes place. Now, for those of you who are interested, you know, back in 167 B.C., uh, the king of Syria, Antiochus the Fourth, he's also known as Epiphanes, he did this. He actually fulfilled a prophecy in Daniel eleven thirty one, 31, in which he went into the Jewish temple, and he presented himself as God. He set up an image of Zeus. He set up brothels where men prostituted themselves in sacred rooms there in the temple. And he slaughtered a pig on the Jewish altar. And so what we find in history, and these things are not random. They're not insignificant they're shadows of the substance. What they are is they're, they're showing to us that, that the, as these things come to pass, I mean, God's not just messing around. This is really going to happen. If there's any doubters in here, then you just don't know history. The Lord's coming. The temple, when you go to, with us to Israel, I pray that you do go with us. You're going to see that everything is being set up. They're training the priests how to serve in the temple. They have the garbs. They have everything they need. Revelation chapter 11, verse 1, it says that during the tribulation period, the the temple will be built. And so one day, uh, when this ruler rises, he's going to go in, however, and he's going to commit this abomination of desolation. You know, Paul, in writing to the Thessalonians, uh, in chapter 2 of his second letter to them, he said that the Christians there that the complete coming of Christ, you know, the time when Jesus rules in Jerusalem, it won't happen until the Antichrist is revealed and He speaks of the abomination of desolation. Now for whatever reason, some people have a hard time with Second Thessalonians 2, because they don't realize that that's in reference, not to the rapture, that's in reference to the visible, complete coming of Christ. 1 Thessalonians, just remember, it's so super simple. 1 Thessalonians emphasizes the rapture. 2 Thessalonians emphasizes the visible return of Christ. And that's not going to happen. It says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, Paul says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Now, that can refer to an apostasy or the rapture. But that day, the day that Jesus comes visibly... It won't happen until that comes first. And then the man of sin is revealed. That's the Antichrist, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. And Satan has always wanted to be worshipped. That's what caused his fall. And one day we're going to see he does just that in the Jewish temple. When that happens, the Jews, who up to that point in this generation, they kind of believed he was the Christ, according to John 5, verse 43. When they see that happen, their eyes are going to be opened, and then they'll reject him. Therefore, at that point, they'll be persecuted. I don't know. Can you see things lining up, you guys? You know, can you see what's going on in Israel today? Syria, Russia, China, North Korea, I mean, do do we see the days that we're living in? You know, when that happens, we read in Revelation 12, 13 and 14, it says, Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, and the dragon is in reference to the devil, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Now the woman who gave birth to the male child is, is Israel. They gave birth to Jesus. The dragon is the devil, he'll persecute the Jews. And it says right here, the woman who was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Now, when you read Bible language, a time and a times, that's plural, that comes out to three and half a time. That's just like we're reading halfway through the tribulation period, you know, three and a half years. Israel will be preserved and protected by God. And so, verse 14, it says, When you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand, that's us, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. He's talking, about the, he's talking to the Jews. He says it's time to run. We'll we'll come back to that in just a second. But when we're looking at the Antichrist and in our context today, first of all, we see the abomination of desolation. Secondly, we see the great tribulation. If you would, jump down to verse 19. It says, For in those days there will be tribulation such has not been since the beginning of the creation, which God created until this time nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. The, the last three and a half years of that seven-week period is called the Great Tribulation. The, the seven-year period is called the Tribulation, but this is now the Great Tribulation. We see that in Matthew 24, verse 21 and this is basically when all hell breaks out on planet Earth. Much of this is described in the book of Revelation. You can read chapter 6 through 19. Now, you know, I was reading this, you guys, and I don't know, man. I was like not freaking out, but I was, I was tripping out. I was like, wow, Lord, this is, this is just crazy. This time is going to be crazy. You know, in the flood in Genesis chapter 7, the Bible says that the waters came from above and they also came from below. And of course, we know that was simply God's judgment. But there's also like a picture there in that the, the, in, the, in the tribulation period, there'll be you know, judgment from above, God, but there's also judgment from, from below. There's also persecution from below. I mean, the devil, it will be like the day of the devil as well. It's going to be a crazy, crazy time, this great tribulation. You know, I mean, an unimaginably terrible time. Again, we read there in verse 20 that unless those days had been shortened, then no one would survive. I mean, if it just went on as it was, everyone would be dead. But the Lord will intervene. Uh, that principle on Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2, in uh, and, and wrath, God remembers mercy. And so the days of doom will be done and not everyone will die. And so in looking at this, this abomination of desolation, Jesus knows that one day someone's going to be reading this, right? Verse 14, let the reader understand. One day the Jews would be reading this. In our house, I don't know if you guys have one. Have you guys ever heard of the tribulation maps? The tribulation maps, they have these little brochures, these handouts and you can leave them in your house that way. When we get raptured, people who are left behind, they'll kind of know what's going on and they'll know what to do. So as I always tell my kids, they're right here, just in case, uh, you know, and you need them. <laughs> just, just messing with them, though, you know. <laughs> I remember I told you guys this one story about a guy, a, a husband. He he had a, a when you call his house, there was a phone message he says, hi, this is Marty. I'm not home right now. I've been raptured. But if you leave a message, my wife will get back to you as <laughs> soon as I... <laughs> she can. Good sense of humor. But, you know, people are, are going to be left behind. The Lord knows that this is going to happen. And so when they're reading this, the Lord says, when you see the abomination of desolation, he tells the Jews, and, and really everybody, but specifically the Jews, run for your life. Run for your life. That's what we read in verse 14. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Verse 15. Let him who was on the housetop not go down into the house, nor enter to take anything out of his house. And that him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies in those days, and pray that your flight may not be in winter. The Lord says don't delay to flee back. Again, the Lord's primarily addressing the Jews. He mentions Judea there specifically in verse 14. And he speaks of people who are hanging out on the housetops. Now we normally don't do that, right? But in certain countries in Israel, even to today, they are there on the house tops. He says, if you're there, don't even go down and go down like the side. You know, don't go get anything. He says, run for your life. Don't hesitate in any way. Because that might make the difference between life and death. One commentator said, Time will be so short, Jesus says that a person on a housetop will have to move, as a, as escaping a burning building, taking the outside stairs instead of going through the house to pick up valuables. Laborers in the field must show equal speed, not even going back to the end of their furrow uh, to retrieve an outer garment that was laid aside during the heat of the day. To let possessions reduce the urgency by even a split second, he said, is to flirt with destruction. And just in case you're thinking that's an exaggeration, you don't know the Holocaust. You know, the Hitler regime, the Gestapo, as they went out searching for the Jews, they faced similar decisions and escape for their life frequently depended upon whether or not they fled with lightning speed. And so this is this is real stuff. I mean, verse 17 says it'll be tough if you have little ones. You know, and of course you're not going to leave your little ones behind, and they're going to slow you down, but you've got to do the best that you can. Even for us nowadays, you know, you guys remember how many of you here, you know, you're kind of like your kids are all older now, and those days are gone. But you remember when you had the little ones, how long it took you to get out the house, you know? I mean, it The Lord says, man, you know, it's going to be hard for you if you have babies or or nursing or you're pregnant. And then in verse 18, he says, uh, and pray that your flight may not be in winter. And you can actually play that, pray that. The Jews can pray that because during the rainy seasons, the swollen streams are a lot harder to cross. The Lord says, in light of all this, number one, don't delay. But number two, and probably even more important, don't be deceived. In verse 21, it says, And if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed, see, I have told you all things beforehand. Now, again, directly uh, directed to the Jews, so that's the uh, interpretation but you know what? There's application to more. Like, I don't know for sure if all of you here are Christians. You know, I don't know for sure. There might be some of you here that you just go to church, you just play church, and you're not really a Christian. I, I hope not. I hope you're all saved. But if you are left behind, you've got to read this. And Jesus said there's going to be a lot of people saying they're the Christ and they're going to do miracles and wonders, it says right there. I mean, you know, they're going to do signs and you're going to like look and say, well, maybe they're the Christ. you got to be careful. It's not the, the works, it's the words. It's not the miracles, it's the message. You test everything according to the Scriptures. I mean, even the Antichrist himself saying he's the Christ, that whole spirit of Antichrist will prevail throughout the land in those days and so what jesus is saying is is don't be deceived he warns them that the false christ and prophets will do these types of miracles and they're going to deceive even if possible the elect and i some people will say well that's not possible maybe not maybe so i don't know why would they say that all i know is this that you got to be really careful we have to test everything by the truth of God's word, and Jesus warns that generation: Don't believe the lying wonders. First Thessalonians five twenty one tells us to test everything, hold on to what it's good. First John four one says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. And of course we can take that and apply it to anything. You see someone on television and they say they're a Christian, doesn't mean that they're teaching the truth. You know, you got a book in a Christian bookstore, doesn't necessarily mean that that's really the Lord. I mean, things happen even in churches. We have to test everything, make sure we are not deceived. And so really in that section, verses 14 to 23, You know, we see the Antichrist, but then we're not really looking for the Antichrist. Did you guys know that? We're looking for who? Jesus Christ. That's why I like verse 24 and 27, because things that start getting wrapped up. He says, But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest parts of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. You know, just prior to his coming, the Bible says that the sun will be darkened, which of course means the moon won't shine and the stars of heaven will fall, and this might be in reference to meteor showers, you know, something spoken of in the book of Revelation. You know, Isaiah 24, 20 through 23, it prophesies these things, as well as Isaiah 13, verse 10, it says, For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light, the sun will be darkened and it's going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. Uh, Joel chapter two verse thirty and thirty one, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. You see, it's so uh, it's such a blessing that we have God's word. We we are not ignorant regarding the future. We've already looked at um, the signs of the times in one sense. They're just the beginning of sorrows, Jesus said. The earthquakes, famines, pestilences, all those types of things, those are the beginning of sorrows. They will increase in, in, in frequency and intensity. But, but when you're really looking for like the actual you know, time when the Lord comes, this is for those in the tribulation period, then you go beyond what we would call natural signs to almost unnatural signs. How can our earth survive without the sun? There's no way we could. How could we survive meteor showers? There's no way we could. See, God right here, he's doing this. It's it's beyond the natural. Beyond the unnatural, it's almost supernatural. But this is what we have in front of us. Now, the cool thing about this is that means that Jesus comes. You know, when this happens, Jesus shows up. And we know that this teaching is the most repeated doctrine in the Bible. I don't know about you, but it says right here, then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And you know, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, that every eye will see Him. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I look forward to that day. You know, I mean, can you... Imagine the day when Jesus returns on a white horse. Imagine that day. We're going to be following behind. We're going to be on horses as well. I mean, do you look forward to that day? Can you visualize him coming in the clouds with great power? In the clouds, they speak of the glory of God. You know, he said he would come. He said he would come. You know, the religious leaders when they were there interrogating Jesus just prior to his crucifixion, they they asked him in Mark 14, 61, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power, and you will also see him coming with the clouds of heaven. And so, you know, for us as Christians, it's such a blessing to know that that. We we have this to look forward to. Jesus will then gather his people from the east, west, north, and south. That's the four winds mentioned here. And Matthew 25 tells us that this is his separation of the sheep and the goats. It's called the judgment of the nations. And the sheep will enter into the millennial kingdom where Jesus will reign on earth for a thousand years. We read that in Revelation chapter 20 in verse 4. And we will live and reign with him as well. And they'll reign with Christ. We'll reign with Christ all who have lived and died or were raptured as Christians will reign with him. We read that in Revelation chapter 5, verse 10. And then it will be a thousand years of peace on earth. And so I like what Corrie Ten Boone said. She said, we are not a post-war generation, but a pre-peace generation. As we look forward to that day that Christ comes, that we know there will be peace on earth. But He And you guys know this by now, right? Do you guys realize now that, that we just can't do this? You know, there was a movie out a while back. Uh, it was about robots, and they kind of like overtook the world uh, because they said that man can't make peace. They didn't have the logic. They didn't have, you know, the, the, just the wisdom, the intelligence. They, had, they didn't have what it took to, to make peace on earth, and it's true. I mean, this last century, more people have died in wars than all others combined. And with the nuclear capabilities that we have now, and with the personalities that are out there leading countries, do we really think that we can provide peace? I mean, of course, we'll we'll try personally, but this is like everything else. When you go driving, I always tell my kids, you know, do the best you can, but you're at the mercy of other drivers as well. The only way there'll be peace is when Jesus comes. And everything's lining up. You know, we see the signs of the tribulation period. And we know the rapture comes before that. So what that means is that we always have to be ready. You know, it's interesting. Looking at our study, we see the Antichrist, and then we see the Christ. There's a contrast. But then we see how we're supposed to know the day And then there's a day that we don't know. Another contrast. I thought it was kind of interesting. Look at verse 28. Uh, Jesus said, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the door. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And so, knowing the day, verse 28, Jesus mentions the fig tree. And he said, when you see its branch become tender, when it puts forth leaves, then you know summer is near. Now, for those in Palestine, this would carry special significance because... uh, most of the trees there were evergreens, and they really didn't change in a dramatic fashion with the seasons. But the fig tree, it's, it's one of the latest to leaf out in spring, so its shoots really are a clear indication that summer was near. And, and Jesus is saying, again, can you guys, you guys are all going to get raptured, right? Okay. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you're just playing church, please, today, Get right or get left. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Seriously, man. Let's just really be ready. It starts with giving your life to Christ, being saved. But just in case you're here and you are left behind, then if you see all these things happening, the abomination of desolation, these, the sun, the moon, the meteors, all that kind of stuff, you can calculate the day. You will know the day. That's what he's saying. Jesus is saying, when you see the the first signs increase, we talked about that in chapter uh, 13, verses 6 through 8, the beginning of sorrows. You know, when you see the abomination and desolation, when you see the sun darkened, stars falling, moon not shining, power shaking, then know this, that Jesus says, I'm near, I'm here, I'm at the door. As a matter of fact, when it comes to the day of the Lord, the completion of the second coming of Christ, all you have to do is calculate the days from the day that the Antichrist enters the temple claiming to be God. Remember we read in Daniel 9.27, it's in the middle of the week. Remember we read in Revelation 12.11, it's uh, right there uh, at three and a half years. Remember we read in, in uh, Revelation 12.14, Daniel 12.11, that'll be 1,209 days. So you can know the day. And so for us, we, we have to, I, I pray that we would, Believe. I mean, we would believe Jesus' words. I hope you do. Look what he said in verse 31 Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. You know, the world will pass away, but God's word will never pass away. The heavens will pass away. That's the atmosphere, that's the space, the galaxy, the stars. All that's going to pass away. We read that even in Revelation. Chapter 21, verse 1, but God's word, that'll never die. And read that in Matthew 5, 18. Jesus even said that, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Numbers 23, 19 says, God's not a man, God's not a liar. If he said he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And, you know, one day when we're home in heaven one day and we're having that asada reunion <laughs> in, you know, the Almighty whatever reunion there in heaven, man, we're going to do like they did in Joshua's day. In Joshua chapter 23, verse 14, they all got together and they said, they said this. They said, man, it was true. Not one word failed. We're going to be in heaven one day and we're going to say that. See, heaven and earth will pass away. Isaiah 40, verse 8, it says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And tribulation, saints, if you're here, be sure to endure, but hopefully that's none of us right here. I hope for us, we come into this last category that we'll be studying today. Look what he says in verse 32, but of that day, now he's speaking of the, the day of the rapture, of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. He said, take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each, to each his work. And if I were you, I would probably underline that, because that's probably the most pressing point at this, at this point of the study. Being ready for the Lord to each his work. And he commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning. There were the different uh, watches according to the Roman calendar to whom Mark is writing. He said, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, Watch. You see, one is knowing the day, but now you're living where you don't know the day. None of us knows the day. There is a huge difference between the commencement of the coming of Christ and the completion of the coming of Christ. The commencement is the rapture. The completion is the wrath. None of us know the day of the rapture of the church. Jesus said here the angels don't know. He even said that he didn't even know while he was on earth. Because you guys know that when Jesus came to earth, he emptied himself of his divine privileges. And so at that time, he didn't know. Only the Father knew. And so what the Lord says in light of that, since none of us know that day, we always must be ready. Wouldn't it be cool if you from this day forward lived every day with that perspective, that this might be the day that Christ comes, i tell you what, it'll change your life. Are you ready? I pray that we would be. Unlike they were in the days of Noah. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 36-42, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. He said, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming." I, I'm telling you, and I've read the Bible a lot and I've heard a lot of studies on eschatology, but for some reason, when I was studying this the last couple of days, it just struck a fear into my heart. You do not want to be left behind to experience the wrath of God or even the wrath of the devil. You know, there are no signs that need to be seen prior to the rapture. All the, need, the Lord needs to say is, is come up. Um, in Revelation 4, verse 1, a lot of teachers, they'll tell you that Revelation 2 and 3 is the church age. Revelation 4, there's a voice in heaven. It says, come up here. And then all of a sudden, the church is ushered into the presence of God. So just think, if that's all the Lord needs to say for the rapture to take place. Come up here. Boom, we're gone. You know, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Right? Genesis chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 11. He's a picture of the church that one day will be taken up. Isaiah 26, 20 says, Come up, my people, enter your chambers, and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. And the Bible talks about the rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17, and 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. It says that in a twinkling of an eye, the rapture is going to happen. That's one eleventh of a second, man. It's going to be crazy. It's not like you're going to see people floating up in the air, and you would be like, oh, Lord, I'm sorry I get right. You know, <laughs> I give you my heart. No, boom, it'll be, just, it'll be done. And that's why you have to be ready. You know, the Lord gives a parable in verse 34, and it, it really is a parable that's comparable to what's really going on. Again, notice again, it's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. And so the Lord, he says, okay, I'm leaving my house to you and uh, I want you to do business until, I'm, until I return, you know. And he's got doorkeepers And he's got servants, he's got workers. Now, this is interesting because I think there might be a distinction here. If you're a doorkeeper, then you're watching and you're warning, right? I mean, you're out there at the door and you're like, okay, is the Lord coming back? That's a pastor, that's a teacher. In one sense, that's all of us. We can all be a doorkeeper warning people hey, are you ready? Are you ready? But then when you're a worker, we we talked about the fact that God's given to each of us a work to do. And so here's how we'll close today. I just want to encourage you, number one, make sure you know the Lord, that you're walking with him. But then number two, as you're saved, please, and I know I say this a lot, but I need to repeat it. Don't just live your own life. Check in with your general. Check in with Jesus Christ. And ask him, what does he want you to do? Jesus said, why do you call me Lord? Lord, and don't do the things I ask. See, that's why you got to check in. That's why you have to be engaged in the work. Husbands, be husbands that are godly. Because the work definitely starts with the family wives, dads, moms. There's an immediate family that must not be neglected. But then it spills over into the gifts and talents and responsibilities you've been given in the church. And you find out what your work is. You know, if we're waiting and watching, then there's no doubt we'll be working. It's a work beyond a paycheck. It's a work that talks about purpose. Have you found your purpose yet? One person said this, when man loses the sacred and significance of work, And himself as a worker, then he soon loses the significance of time and life. For that reason, another man would pray this prayer, God, give me my work till my life shall end, and give me life till my work is done. But what happens is we tend to waste and wander. You know, here's how we'll close. What would happen if we began right now to do all the things we know we should and cease to do all the things we know we shouldn't. And I have a strange feeling that many people are too busy doing their own thing, that even disciples are distracted with the cares of this life and the riches that are offered by the world. Some of the saints are in sin, and they're going to be sorry. Let me close with this illustration. During the 1960s, presidential campaign, John F. Kennedy often closed his speeches with the story of Colonel Davenport. He was the Speaker of the Connecticut House of Representatives. And on May 19th, the year 1780, I guess the sky of Hartford darkened ominously, and many of the representatives, as they looked out the window, they feared that the end was at hand. And so they began to demand for an immediate adjournment of the meeting. But Davenport, he rose and he said, The day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there is no cause for adjournment. But if it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. And that's what I want too. Lord, you know me as a husband, as a dad, as a, as a son, as a friend, as a pastor. You know what I've been called to do. And so do I. And so, Lord, when you come, I pray that I will be doing that. And in my life, and I don't know about your life, but I will share this with you. In my life, I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. I hear his voice. He's telling me to do a lot of other things that I haven't been doing. So I pray after a study like this that I'll listen. And that you would too.